What's up, everybody? It's me, Craig Smith, the host of Fresh Era. I love this show. I love what we've been able to do with it. If you hear stories from Chubb Rock, the story from Drez, the story from Young MC, these are episodes that we made. And once we heard the stories, I pretty much knew where I wanted to take the episode. And those processes were things that were hammered out with a lot of thought. This episode, the Funk Dubious episode that you're about to listen to, is the first episode that I ever cut. So this was before the pandemic. This is before everybody went into isolation. And you'll hear that it's a little different. Maybe the cadence is different in how I'm presenting the information. My voice is different. A lot of the little tricks and things that I do throughout the editing of the other episodes in the show's series will be a little different in this episode. But I think it shows the growth where we've come from with an idea and have been able to grow it into something that's really polished and something that I think you'll enjoy as we grow into seasons two and three and four. So as you're listening to this, just just take mental note, man. That, like this was an experiment for us. And we've been able to grow it into something that I feel is our unique voice and tells these stories in a way that no one else really could. So do us a favor. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to the show. And without further ado, here's the episode. Stupid fly. We get to Boston. Everlast meets us there. Everlast has just done his show. He goes, I want to see the doobies perform. So he goes all across town, Boston, to go to our little rinky-dink club. And I get on the mic, and the mic is fucked up. So Everlast takes the mic out of my hand like nut, like boop. And he throws it on the ground, and it smashes into a million pieces. Here it comes! Here it comes! You're listening to Fresh Era, where we tell stories of the legends from the golden era of hip-hop. Each episode will bring you interviews from the pioneers themselves as we dive deep into their lives, their struggles, and what it was like to be a part of the most popular form of music before it was mainstream. I'm Craig Smith, and on today's episode, we're going to talk to two members of the rap group Funk Dubious. In the early 90s, they were huge. They went gold with hits like Bow Wow Wow and The Funkiest. We'll talk about that, their association with Cypress Hill, what it was like to go through a split in the group, and how Sun Doobie might have ended up in the world of hardcore pornography. Sun Dubious, also known as Sun Doobie or just Doobie, is widely regarded as a trailblazer in West Coast hip-hop. But like many rappers from the era, he was actually born on the East Coast. I was born in Brooklyn, New York, County of Kings, Greenpoint Hospital, 1971, September 20th. And at this point in New York, the seeds of hip-hop were just being planted all around him. And as the world was changing around him in New York, so was his home It's life. just that my dad and my mom, they didn't have a divorce. They just separated because they loved each other, but they were just two different types of people. Music was my passion at that time. And my mom was into salsa and disco. You know, when I was, in it, when I was into all that stuff, I, used to, I heard a group called the Disco Three, and that was the Fat Boys. Now we may be a little chubby, but don't feel slow. We guarantee you one thing. And then um, with my mom, I came out here to Cali. And then when I got to L.A., it was all about KDAY. This was the mid-1980s when KDAY was a pretty big deal in bringing hip-hop to the West Coast. There was still no real proof that this new art form would become anything big, let alone a career. But one night, that all changed for Sun Doobie. I kid you not, 1983. 
Joan Rivers had Run DMC. I mean, it was amazing because um, at that time, rap was just something you heard on the radio, not on TV. And when I saw Run DMC on the Joan Rivers show, I said, it's over. With KDAY as the soundtrack, he would go on to make friends in elementary school with the same love for hip hop. And then when we went to junior high school, I met Charlie Tuna from Jurassic and I met Leo from House of Pain. And they were going to junior high with me and we belonged to a crew called the Unity Committee. And it was a rap crew. And um, you had to try out for that crew. You can't just go in. So I freestyled for like an hour. And at that time that was unheard of. And they were just like, yo, we got your back. You got skills on the microphone. So whatever you can spit. So before we go further with Son Dubious, we have to talk about the other MC in Funk Dubious, Tomahawk Funk. He was one of the first Native American rappers many people had ever heard as a member of the Sioux Nation. His story starts in another world entirely. Well, for me, it was um, actually born in South Dakota, but I was conceived in Los Angeles. I hit Los Angeles in 73. And this change for Tomahawk Funk was jarring. Imagine a kid on a reservation gets thrown into this big metropolis city and, and, and you feel lost. You really don't make a connection with anybody because there wasn't too many natives around there at the time. There probably still ain't, but... When I got here, the reason I, I, I became cool with, with a lot of the blacks and the Mexicans and, and, and even the whites it was because I was a pretty good athlete. So when I first get here, that's what it took for me to get their respect. And as hip-hop would eventually grow and develop its own identity, so would he. You meet friends at school. That's how I met Sin. That's how I met other cats. We all kind of fell in love with the same thing, which was hip-hop. Their friendships would soon expand to include Sin Dog of Cypress Hill, DJ Lethal and Everlast of House of Pain, and other names you'll hear throughout this episode like Be Real, DJ Muggs, Danny Boy, and The Alchemist. And their collective love for the culture led them to believe that they could make hip-hop a career. That kind of happened through Muggs when he, when, he, when he first got with Brett and Sean B from 783. And that's where I actually seen this guy the first time when they did this awareness joint. Oh, man. I, I, you probably know what I'm talking about. Listen, bring, man, listen. Can we cut, man? Listen. <laughs> why do man, why'd you bring that I'm up? I'm just saying, dude. That's when I was like, yo. And when I heard him, I'm like, dude, this, this dude just... His, his flow was, is rapid fire, like... Doobie says that Cypress Hill at the time was a crew of MCs called Cypress Hill Tribe. That's when... Muggs just said, hey, dude, I'm going to give you your own group. And I go, but I don't even have a name. What's it going to be called? It's going to be called Funk Dubious. You down with that? I go, fuck yeah, that's a dope name. He goes, one of the Cypress songs. We're not going to use it. You guys take it for the fucking group. I go, fuck yeah, let's do it. And he goes, I'm going to put T and Ralph with you. How, how you feel about that? I go, are you fucking kidding me? That's Cypress. It's still Cypress. He goes, so you'll just come right after us. That's it. I said, thank you. Fuck yeah. He was figuring it out. He liked the three-man crew because it came from the, um, the, the a tradition of Fat Boys, Run DMC, Beastie Boys. Yeah, we just did it. We said, hey, man, me and Ralph, T, we're good. Yeah, I love it. And um, it became, after that, we just started um, rehearsing on shows. And, man, we had a chemistry on stage that um, in San Francisco, we, our first show was at the DNA Lounge, um, opening up for Nas and the Far Side. This was 90... 92. In the late 80s and early 90s, there was a notion that young urban kids sold drugs or did something illegal to make ends meet. 
But these guys didn't rob people to sell dope. For Doobie in particular, he sold sandwiches. I was working at Subway. I mean, I'm a good sandwich maker. I'm a cook. I'm good. I cook anything, man. So just let me know, man. I'm steak, spaghetti, soul food. I do it all, man. I know that sounds real, but I, I used to starve a lot when I was young. So I learned how to cook real quick. And then Subway, I make myself a sandwich and used to take it home. So put it down my T-shirt or something. It used to smell like fucking bologna a lot. So I actually worked for Eastman Kodak. I don't even know if they exist anymore, but I used to work in a warehouse and um, load containers and unload them. But it, it was money, you know what I mean? And when you're that young, two, three hundred dollars, you, you feel like you're on top of the world. And to the top of the world, they went with way more than just a few hundred dollars. We'll find out just how high they were able to climb and what it was like to jump off after a quick break. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome back. Before the break, we talked to Sun Dubious and Tomahawk Funk about growing up and what they did for money while discovering how to do what they really love, hip-hop. Keep in mind, this was still the early 90s. Neighborhoods for black and brown people in Los Angeles were riddled with heroin and crack. It would have been easy if you needed money to fall in line with many hustlers and start pushing product, but... I knew cats who were doing that, we knew you know what I mean? But, doing that, but nah, that, that wasn't my hustle, it was just... I know what you're saying, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I never fucked around, I never dabbled. I had an uncle who passed away from an overdose of heroin, and uh, when he passed away, it, it messed with my head, and I just, um, the grief crippled me. So, you know, I smoked a lot of weed. And with the drug game out of the picture, they were set on developing a music career. In the meantime, Tomahawk was still holding down the nine to five most of the day. Because me and Sid worked at one time together at the same place, and he was like, yo, I'm quitting. I'm like, what, what you quitting for? He's like, yo, we, we about to go do the Cypress Hill thing. And I'm like, bro, that's, that's, you can't just walk away from the job. He did. Sid left the job. I think I stuck around the next day, and he was like, yo. But that's kind of how it was. It's like, once once they started really getting serious at it, well, well Muggs, it was like, yo, let, let's, let's go check this out, man, and, and see if we can... Become something doing that. And as for their parents who had picked up and moved to Los Angeles, how would they feel about this career path in hip-hop? I wanted to go back to New York. My dad would just, like, stay in L.A. and do the music. You know what I'm saying? My mom was the same way. Well, I didn't really mention it to my mom, you know what I mean? Because she 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 was working and doing her thing, trying to support me and my sister. Yeah, I didn't really I didn't really bring it up to her until I actually had some product, like, like a, a CD or an album. She couldn't believe it. She was like, you guys are really out there trying to do this. And I was like, yeah, well... You see it in your hands right here. That's, this, is, this is what we're trying to achieve now. So for Doobie, Tomahawk, and DJ Ralph M, 
there was something more brewing. It would be the man who put them together and gave them their name who would give them their break. The infamous DJ Muggs. During that time, DJ Muggs was one-third of the legendary rap group Cypress Hill with Be Real and Send Off. They already had buzz at this point, and Muggs himself was producing hit records like Ice Cube's Check Yourself and House of Pain's Jump Around. Jump around. Jump around. With Funk Dubious, Muggs made the music and developed the talent. This is when he was living in Hollywood. I think all, all, all these cats were in Hollywood at the time, and he had gotten, a, what, an apartment with... Uh, bought his first SP. Well. Bought his first SP. He with had the, a With the publishing advance he got from 73. <laughs> and that's where we used to kind of meet. It was like, yo, you guys come through. I'm working on some music. And we'd go up there and smoke a little and drink a little. And that's the first time I heard Hand on the Pump. Like, just, just the beat. And I'm like, damn. And then um, the first song me and Muggs did was an Al Green sample called Love and Happiness. And it goes, and it was love and happiness. And it was funky. And then that was it. And then Sin and Beak walked in. And I, I, I met B and Sin for the first time walking in, and, and I was like, hey, how you doing? Sin had a BMW, and he had all these hip-hop, um, 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 not eight tracks, but cassette tapes. When the cassette tapes were out, I know you new generation don't know what that is. Ask, ask moms. And the next thing you know, um, I was going through all, and he had Ultra Magnetic, EPMD, Run DMC. For me personally, that's, that's the first time I heard Public Enemy, that the first album they put out. And I was like, yo, who is this? He's like, it was Public Enemy. And then he just started flipping all these other groups. And I was like, yo, that's that's what I want. I, w- I want that sound. Day in and day out in the studio, they would develop that sound. Now, one of the reasons for this show is to highlight how different that time was in hip-hop. These days, acts have more control over their art and are better taken care of on the business end. For nearly 30 years, this was not the case. A lot of artists weren't handled properly. A lot of companies got rich by not paying the artists. And for the time, Funk Dubious was fortunate. They had mugs. Listen, mugs was a dream, man, because the half the shit that them brothers was doing to their own artists, he didn't do on us. And we, he made sure we got our money. He would always call us and go, did you get that? Did you get that? Did you get that? Or he'd have an assistant make sure we got it. Like if he was leaving, he'd go, hey, you're in charge of making sure they get theirs. And I never seen anyone do that. So when I hear stories about other labels and motherfuckers getting beat up and shit like that, I go, wow, I can't, I can't even imagine that. Instead, they were treated like stars and stars don't walk or take the bus. This one guy came in and we all picked out our cars like we were picking out fucking, uh, like we were ordering pizza. I got the biggest GMC Tahoe black-on-black Yukon. It was the only one um, um, in uh, California that's been ordered. They had to drive it from the plant. T got a fucking Thunderbird. Nice. Nice. Hey, tell them how, let's tell them how, how, they, how they told us to meet them at the, at the Hollywood Bowl for the tour bus. Oh, we go, they go, go to the Hollywood Bowl. We go to the Hollywood Bowl, and uh, we see three buses. And we go, what's this? He goes... You guys are going on tour. Go home and get your clothes and, and get on the bus. And no one told us. We were right on the spot. I went home. He went home, got his clothes, and we came back to the bus. And our next, show, our first show was at Mesa, Arizona. A fucking 15,000 people, man. That shit was insane. Hey, I'm going to break it down to you like this. Cypress Hill, House of Pain, and Folk Dubious. 
93. Soul Assassin's Tour. It was a hooligan, it was Fatal Hooligans, Us, House of Pain, Cyprus. Closing Cyprus. Well, it was like this. Cyprus was about the weed. House of Pain was about the drinking. And Funk Dubious was about the sex and comedy. We were very lighthearted, positive hip-hop. So with the signature style, an album, and a tour came the first glimpses of success. A lot of, a lot of what? On the road, uh, going into mom and pop stores. Yeah, they Meeting them. And also uh, uh, New York, when we got to New York, a lot of producers we never heard of wanted, wanted us in their studios. We went to Tommy Boy and we met Monica Lynch and Tom Silverman. And I remember Tom telling us, if you guys ever put out an album, I want to put it out for you guys because I know what to do with you guys. But Funk Dubious was right at home at Epic Records. Epic was an amazing label back then. It was, I mean, Michael, Michael was still alive and it was just, um, they gave us everything. They gave us, the, the Doobies gave it to them. When you pulled out, out of the album, the, um, the clear, it just said Epic and Funk Dubious. And I like that because when I had the Michael Jackson album, I used to look at both of our albums and just be like, oh. And that amazing feeling extended to being on tour. It was a party. It was like you never left the block. So it was like you took the party from the street onto the tour bus into whatever city you were going, and, and you're ordering cases of this, cases of that. You're getting weed flowing in. So it's like, yo. We used to, before there was dispensaries, we used to, um, we used to order an ounce, and they used to UPS it to us at the next hotel that we would stay at. And we couldn't believe how we got away with it through the whole tour. You know, I came out and I uh, remember Carl and I made our, our shitty suits. Sorry, Carl. You didn't know how to do sh clothes back then. Now you do. And uh, it was sad because when we had Muggs' suit, Muggs goes, nah, I'm going to wear what I'm going to wear. Y'all wear that. And he don't want to wear because he's smart. Muggs knows. He knew. You know what I'm saying? So when it was actuating, uh, me and T, like I said, we would just play off each other. And, you know, um, Ralph Femme usually did most of the talking, believe it or not. You know, because sometimes me and T, we, were, we did the talking on stage. Yeah, that, but Ralph Femme would have did what we're doing right now. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And took over. That camaraderie would help them navigate the pressures of fame and being on the road. Camaraderie and smoking cannabis. He was all the <laughs> While time. for me, that's how I kind of dealt with it. He was nervous. You get was, nervous. I would. 10,000 people. I would man. get a little day. like. A little nervous. It's like you get the butterflies in your stomach, you know what I mean? And right before, hey, yo, Doobie, some funk Doobie's coming on next. I'm like, oh, man. Not me, though. I, you I get that little, it. and it. it's kind of, you know, you run yeah, to the yeah, side. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> yeah. and you're like, okay, I'm ready. It was, it was all this stuff and no breaks. And no breaks. No. Boom, boom, boom. So that helped us. That helped us learn how to just boom, boom, boom. And the mugs like that. They all like that. Like, Doobies are killing it. I would come out at Everlast's um, House in the Rising Sun on his oh, shoulders. Oh, in Boston. These dudes, uh... Remember? Boston. Let oh. me tell you what happened in Boston. We get to Boston. Everlast meets us there. Everlast has just done his show. He goes, I want to see the doobies perform. So he goes all across town, Boston, to go to our little rinky-dink club so that he could be with me. And I get on the mic, and the mic is fucked up. So Everlast takes the mic out of my hand like nothing, like, boop. And he throws it on the ground and it smashes into a million pieces. When he broke it, he rushed, he, he hit on my tour bus. And the guys whose mic it really was, because he bar he let the, the, the club borrow it, came up and said, yo, that was my mic you guys broke, man. I'm just saying. I was like, well, the sound was fucked up, homie. I don't know what to tell you. I didn't say shit. And, um, and then Everlast kept saying, oh, well, I don't know what to say, my man. And... That's when I was like, oh, we gangsters now. <laughs> we some real. I said, we're in it now. We're in it. And uh, 
the dude looked at, he just, like, he was really trying to, like, gorilla pimp the, 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 the money for the, the mic. And he, he, he wouldn't leave the, the tour bus or whatever. And right when he, like, he did the one mistake, he, he took one step back off the bus and the doors went, boom, <laughs> like that. And we told the driver, get the fuck out of here. As Funk Dubious kept doing shows, their notoriety with fans grew. But it wasn't always a party. We were challenged. And we were berated sometimes on tour. You know, it was just, we saw fans that just came to the show just to fuck up. You know what I'm saying? But it was just a few of them. You know what I mean? And they were all the way in the back. But we were so cool that we would go and meet everybody. You see what I'm saying? But then it was weird because you go through all this niceness and all these compliments. And then at the end, there's always like this little devil that just wants to like fuck up the way you you thought of how everything went down. You know what I'm saying? And you're going to have that in this world. And you can't make everybody happy. But um, we sure as hell look like we did, though. Despite the hiccups here and there, having a happy audience, weed, and success seem to keep the party going. It's one thing to be stoned and rocking a packed house on stage. It's another thing to be one with the crowd. It, when stage diving started to become popular, T, we were, we were the masters of that. I mean, it, it, well, you, you got to trust these people. Yeah. That's you know, going to catch you. Remember? I mean, Remember when I jumped off those uh, three, the three-story speakers, and I just, and, and you thought Doobie's dead, and lived through it, because that was the high point where I said, if I'm if I'm this high, I'm gonna die this high, and this point in my life, high point in my life, it was Roseland in the New York City. We sold it out. We sold it out for two days. You know that 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 like when Michael Douglas's dad jumps from uh, the game in the movie, and he jumps from that tall building. That's how I just did. I just said. At the pinnacle, Tubi, you got money in the, you got three bank accounts, you got three cars. And I just said, hey, let's see what it looks like upstairs. Remember, Cool Keith came up to us. He goes, I ain't never seen nothing like that, Doobie. I heard they call you the porno king. I, I like Max Hardcore. What's up, Doobie? I'm like, ah. Oh. Were the rumors about Sun Doobie true? Did he really take his talent straight to VHS with a porno? Was he the originator of the celebrity sex tape? Find out after a quick break. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch. Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. In May of 1993, Funk Dubious released Which Doobie You Be on Epic Records with producers DJ Muggs, DJ Lethal, and T-Ray. Sun Dubious, Tomahawk Funk, and DJ Ralph M were on top of the world and they were performing their hit single, Bow Wow Wow, to sold-out venues. I bow, wow, wow, yippee, yo, yippee, 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 
We paid uh, uh, George Clinton 150,000. Wow, 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 yeah. wow, wow, we had to pay him 150,000 right up front, even before the single even came out, even before the artwork was done up. Yeah. Dude, when we got to meet him, though, so that was kind of cool, too. And, oh, and, and we met he him in Atlanta. Showed, he showed love. He wore, like he, he wore a Bow Wow Wow hat. The Funk Doobie, let's be honest. The Funk Doobies, those beats were the beats that Muggs didn't want for the Cypress. Remember, he, he there was the, the rejected beats. And um, we took it, and we made the best with it. B-Roll's like, yo, Doobie spitting fire on this beat. I couldn't even fuck with it. And he's killing it. And I'm like, I thought that's what we were supposed to do. And their impact was felt around the world. In the summer of 1995, the sophomore album Brothers Doobie was released. The, 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 the label put it out in two uh, colors, um, Baby Blue and um, Safety Green. And for the Brothers Doobie, the work was nonstop. Well, at that time, we were doing a lot of shows, and we, we didn't really have time to come in and, in the studio and work on the album. We made, we made that time. The songs that, that we had on the second album, they had been recorded way before. Because we started recording even when we were on tour. We were never working. Bugs bought a, um, a mobile studio. Yeah, like a, but in those days, it was just a U-Haul, a box. But it had all the, the, the board, everything was in there. And we were still recording. It's like Muggs wouldn't stop working. We just wanted to have something that keep these guys guessing. Something that they couldn't figure out, but they still liked it. Like, man, it's weird, but I like it. You know, that's what it was. You know what I'm saying? And and then when they got it with it, they were like, it ain't that weird. It's just I get it. the human condition. I get what Doobie's saying. Do, yeah, saying. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I mean? And when they met me, they're like, oh, we get it now. I caught Spider-Man drinking up in a boat. So I won the one-man comic, then that bionic. Bitch, fuck the hoe, a.k.a. pro Banner. Did I say Santa? No, it's the Green Lantern. And this is where we reach a fork in the road. After countless shows and two successful albums, Tomahawk Funk announced to his groupmates that he was not going to be on the third album. He was leaving the rock star lifestyle. Well, my, I had my first son at the well, my only son, and his mother at the time, or her family decided to move up to Washington. It's just, I felt like something I had to do. You know what I mean? Because I didn't grow up with my dad. And that, that's no strike at him in any way. But it's just like, this is, I, I got to do this, man. This is my firstborn. And, and I, I felt the second album was a pretty good album. But I, there was never any tension. It was just, it was just pers- pretty Not much a personal all. choice. A choice to give up massive crowds and studio sessions. A choice that would change his life completely. His mind was made up, and fortunately, he had the support of his group. It's almost hard to believe when you think about famous group splits like N.W.A. that there was virtually no tension as a result of Tomahawk's decision to leave. Instead of no Vaseline, imagine Ice Cube and Dr. Dre and Easy all hugging and saying, I understand. It did fuck with me. It fucked with me, but I left it alone because I don't have kids, so I don't know what it's like. Me and Ralph, we, we knew what he had to do, and we let it go. We said, T, go do what you got to do. And yeah. then I said, we'll handle, me and Ralph will handle this, the, the music side over here. Handle what, you know, the father stuff, the fatherhood on over there. Yeah, I already figured I'm going to be up here for a while. I got to be with my son and, and just be there, man. Just be there. My life wasn't figured out or, or like kind of like it is now. I was still pretty, pretty much doing whatever I wanted to do. I, I have more respect for T. I was proud of him. I was like... You know, me and Ralph were talking like, yo, well, I wonder what T's doing right now. He's probably playing with his child. You're in the seed right now. Just, you know. When I was up there, when I first moved up there, I see people walking around with, with the funk doobie with the girl on it. Oh, yeah, and yeah, like, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. These kids out here are rocking the funk doobie shirt. See? Right? You see what I'm and saying? And I didn't say nothing, though. I just kind of stood back and like, $600 on eBay. This I can't even true. buy my own. With Tomahawk in Washington, Funk Dubious was now Sun Dubious and DJ Ralph M. 
they released the third album, The Troubleshooters, in January of 1998. It didn't perform nearly as well as the two records that came before it, and this new dynamic was something to get used to. Now, it was just Sun Doobie on the songs. This new dynamic was the beginning of a gradual decline in the group's popularity. The tone shifted, and so did the sound. Come on, let's go to work, and let me take that body church. It, it, it was hard because everyone was used to T's sound and fans would come up to us after the show like, yo, where's your boy Tamahawk at? And we had to explain to him and we, we just pulled him to the side and just say, hey, listen, he just had a, a seat. He's taking care of it right now. He's, 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 handled, he's uh, addressing his responsibilities right now. So that's it. He's doing good and we're proud of him. And uh, he's always part of the group. When they heard us say that, they were like, that's what's up. Why, why are more people like that? You know, like, who are these dudes? So... Man, T could do whatever the fuck he wants. You know what I'm saying? It was because of T that we we were at where we're on that stage. You know what I'm saying? But he's got a seed. You know, I almost got someone pregnant, but I'm glad I didn't. But it's all good, man. Because I was fucking everything that moved. Let's be honest. I went crazy, dog. Almost nothing. I would say that the sex is overrated. Don't don't fucking don't go. I went crazy. I let's be honest. I went stupid. I have dreams sometimes, and they come in my dreams because I can't remember everything. And then when I see them in the dreams, I get scared because I go, that was someone I used to be with. And it fucks my head up, yeah. So while we're on the subject of sex, with his popularity declining and slow album sales, out of nowhere came rumors that Doobie was trying to make a new name for himself in the world of hardcore porn. A name he now doesn't know how to embrace. The Porno King. It's me, it's guys, it's me in there. I'm not over there showing you guys everything and all that shit. And it wasn't long until Eminem made reference to Doobie's adult films in the 1999 single Guilty Conscience with Dr. Dre. Man, ain't you ever seen that one movie, kids? No, but I seen the porno with Son Doobie. Well, you know what it was, man? It was a lot of motherfuckers in L.A. And, you know, L.A. is so colorful. Everyone's got personality. They think they're crazy out here. I said, fuck that. They're not crazy. I'm crazy. So I did the movie. And then I looked at all these motherfuckers and they just looked at me like, ooh. I thought you guys, what happened with the LA craziness? So I just said, fuck it. I did it and then nothing. It was fun. The pleasure was all mine. I did it. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. And that was it, man. I've done two pornos in my life. The first one was The Love Doctor and the second one was um, The Porno King. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. After years of speculation, including one of the biggest rappers in the world mentioning it on a song, we have our confirmation. There exists not one, but two different pornos featuring Sun Doobie. Google it at your own risk. And so back to music. The album The Troubleshooters was out, and Sun Doobie and DJ Ralph M were still going. We were still doing shows, and, and we went to Europe. And then uh, we had a big following in Europe. And then uh, we came out here, and Troubleshooters was more of a, let you know that we ain't gone nowhere, we're still here. By the time The Troubleshooters had run its course... Funk Dubious was far from the fame they experienced in the early 90s. They had experienced firsthand what it was like to be on top of the rap game. Hit records, sold out tours, sex, drugs, and lots of money. Most of it had faded after their third album. Sun Doobie released two solo projects, Funk Superhero and Doobie Deluxe in 03 and 04. Then, when Tomahawk Funk reconnected with the group, they released the 2009 album The Golden B-Boys. After all this up and down, from obscurity to fame and back to living relatively normal lives, Sun Doobie and Tomahawk Funk have little regrets. If anything, I might have would just, just, well, at the age I am now, maybe just slowed down 
a little bit because I felt like we these rock stars and that's what rock stars do. You show up, you get off your tour bus, you get the bottle of Jack Daniels and you drink that and you do whatever. You know what I mean, and, and regret any of it? No, because I didn't really I didn't really do anything that was stupid. It's just personally, it's like, yo, you, you, you can't you can't you can't be out there like that all the time or you shouldn't have to be or you don't have to be. But in my mind, that's what I thought. I'm like, yo, we, we, we on top, man. So, And as for Son Dubious, he found himself in some trouble that led him to be incarcerated after the tragic loss of his mom. Yeah, I was about to come up, man. I was about to come. I was trying for the come up. I wasn't trying to waste no time um, looking for sympathy or, or trying to feel sorry for myself or look, trying to get, get uh, sympathy from other people because I saw other people do that after their parents would die. They would just play on their relatives. Not me, though. I was like, yo, I'm ready to work. I'm free. Mom's is not here. I got to do what I got to do. I was in court for the case for two years, and then they decided that I had violated my probation, so I did the six months, and I was out there in Supermax for six months. But in true Sun Doobie fashion, he found some positive in being locked up. His fellow inmates were familiar with Funk Dubious. So I got a little, um, I got the softest pajamas. I got the, the best slippers, shower slippers, everything. They cooked me up. Everything. They gave me two mats. I know how to roll. I know. I know how to make my own pillow, like a king. So here we are, decades after the launch of Funk Dubious, years removed from the era when they were kings. Now that the spotlight has dimmed on their careers, do they miss it? There's ups and downs to everything. And when we were high, we were high, it was at the right place at the right time. But if you did it now, it wouldn't be at the right because you got all these unappreciative. Of people who just don't, who take everything for granted. They're spoiled. They don't care. We were just, we just wanted people to listen to our music. That's it. Hey, my man, can you just lend out, uh, lend me five minutes of your time in your ear and just hear our shit? And as for Tomahawk Funk, do I miss them, them early years? I mean, it'd be cool to go check that out again. You know what I mean? And maybe I would, I would walk that a little different. Of course, you miss it, man. I'd be lying if I, if I said I didn't. But is this you got, you got to grow and you got to move on and, 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 you know, just keep your friends, keep your friends, people you love you, people that love you, and that's it, man. And people do still love Tomahawk Funk. As a Native American rapper, he has inspired others from his same background to become MCs. I, I, I appreciate that, you know what I mean? But it's like, these dudes are, are, are pretty good themselves, and they just got to understand and, and know that. Native Americans have been beating on drums and singing for just as long as anybody else. We got words to spit and, and, and things that people should hear. And that love for music and up-and-coming artists is still there. Son Dubia says he would love to mentor other artists and help with crafting albums. Music is, is always my passion. I'm not, I'm not a painter. Music, I believe, can bring us all together. You know, when I see those festivals and everybody's happy and, you know, what's so funny is everyone's got their problems, but they all left that shit at the door so that they can all party together. So these days, Tomahawk Funk still lives in Washington, and he says he enjoys his job and his family. Son Dubious is still rocking shows and working on new music. The members of Funk Dubious, Doobie, Tomahawk, and DJ Ralph M still keep in touch with each other and with DJ Muggs. Fresh Era is a Stupid Fly production, written and edited by me, Craig Smith, and made great by the amazing DJ Cheap Shot. Chris Barnett is an I-dotting T-crossing ninja. Sean Berman is our mix engineer. Art design by Michael Bonanno. Our music is by The Math Club. 
Be sure to follow us on social media at Stupid Fly Media. And all of our day ones can head over to stupid-fly.com where you can buy Stupid Fly merch and learn more about us. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or however you listen. And make sure you tune in to the next episode of Fresh Era.